Mother's Day message this morning is from Leviticus, <laughs> chapter 6. Leviticus chapter 6, we're continuing, of course, our study in the book of Leviticus this morning. As uh, we work our way through passage by passage, we come this morning to Leviticus chapter 6, beginning in verse 14. I'll be reading through verse 18. Now this is the law of the grain offering. The sons of Aaron shall present it before the Lord in front of the altar. Then one of them shall lift up from it a handful of the fine flour of the grain offering with its oil and all the incense that is on the grain offering. And he shall offer it up in smoke on the altar, a soothing aroma as its memorial offering to the Lord. What is left of it, Aaron and his sons are to eat. It shall be eaten as unleavened cakes in a holy place. They are to eat it in the court of the tent of meeting. It shall not be baked with leaven. I have given it as their share from my offerings by fire. It is most holy, like the sin offering and the guilt offering. Every male among the sons of Aaron may eat it, it is a permanent ordinance throughout your generations, from the offerings by fire to the Lord. Whoever touches them will be consecrated. <clears throat> Father, once again, we come to your word in dependence <clears throat> upon you. It is your word that you must teach us. Do so, we ask. In Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. Amen. Well, you can see why this is so applicable to Mother's Day. It does speak of the sons of Aaron. It's about as close as we can get. Well, we're looking again here at what has been called the grain offering, or the meal offering. We spent some time looking at this already from the perspective of the Basics required in the sacrifice to the Lord from the perspective of the worshipers who offer this sacrifice. Once again, just to catch you up, you're visiting with us this morning. As you begin working your way through Leviticus, you're seeing first a series of sacrifices or offerings. And as you continue through Leviticus and come particularly into chapter 6, you begin to go back over the same offerings again. And the reason for that is that the first time the offerings are dealt with, they're being portrayed from the perspective of the worshiper. If you were an old covenant Israelite, and you were bringing these sacrifices, you would come to the first chapters of Leviticus, and that would inform you concerning your responsibility as you bring an offering to the tabernacle. But now, Moses is taking us back over those same sacrifices, and he is looking at them from a different perspective, from the perspective of the officiating priests there at the tabernacle. We learned in Leviticus 
Leviticus chapter 2 that the grain offering or the meal offering consisted of worshipers offering cooked or uncooked meal, grain, to the Lord. The ingredients symbolized God's lasting provision for them, symbolized the, the bounty of God to his people and excluded any elements which might represent corruption, such as leaven, yeast, or honey, or other elements. This was to demonstrate one's dedication to the Lord, to holiness, to consecration on the part of the people who are offering these grain offerings. Among all that we learned as we studied this offering in chapter 2, there are a couple of things that I want to remind you of this morning. In Leviticus chapter 2, we saw at least three times that the grain offering is an act of dedication to the Lord, and it was an offering that would often be performed in conjunction with the burnt offering. So someone would come along with the, the burnt offering, an offering of atonement, of reconciliation to God, and those who then have been reconciled to God through the burnt offering, which was a way of covering sin, they would then want to acknowledge that they owe God everything. And so following the burnt offering, they might bring a grain offering as well as an act of dedication, giving to God a portion of what God had given to them. They bring to the Lord a portion of their daily bread. The spiritual worshiper under the Old Covenant then understood this gift to be symbolic not only of the fact that God had provided everything that he has and everything that he needs, but also that he is giving himself wholly to the Lord. He is acknowledging, and in the symbolism of the sacrifice, declaring that all that he has and all that he is belongs to Yahweh. So this meal offering, this grain offering, was a sacrifice that demonstrates one's wholehearted, unreserved commitment to Yahweh. But we also saw that this meal offering was a memorial. In chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, and then in verses 8 and 10 and verse 16, we see the meal offering as a memorial. So in giving back the meal offering to the Lord, they were giving back to him in order to remember. This should be very familiar to us because we talk about this memorial. We talk about remembering every time we come to the Lord's table. And it's the same idea. We are remembering what the Lord has done and has promised to do. We are remembering that He has provided for us and has promised to continue to provide. In the very act of the giving of the meal, this flower, these 
takes these baked goods, there is a reminder that God owns the offering that we are giving back to Him. Just as He owns everything else that we possess and everything that we are. Indeed, it is an acknowledgement that God owns the offerer as well as the offering. That's what we saw in Leviticus chapter 2. Now, as we move into a discussion of the same offering here in chapter 6, the focus changes, although it's the same subject, the grain offering. We're looking at that grain offering now from the perspective of the Levitical priest as opposed to the one bringing the offering. The Levitical priest is there at the tabernacle and he is conducting his priestly office. He is officiating over the sacrifices there at the tabernacle. And as we examine this passage, we'll see the dedicatory aspect of the grain offering repeated. And you'll see that especially in verses 14 and 15. But the real focus of the passage which is in verses 16, 17, and 18, is on the role of the priest and what they are to do with the remainder of the grain offering after the memorial portion of the offering has been burned. You see, only a portion of the offering is to be burned. You might remember that from chapter 2. Well, what do you do with the rest of it? Well, we're going to see that here today. And as I hope to demonstrate, what the priests are commanded to do with the remainder of that grain offering has tremendous spiritual significance, not only for Old Covenant worshipers, but also for those of us who are members of the New Covenant people of God, as we understand the meaning in the light of God's glorious revelation of Jesus Christ. This is what we've been trying to do throughout our study of Revelation. We're not simply examining the book of Revelation in order to find out some hopefully interesting tidbits about ancient Israel. These aren't history lessons. We are intended to see Jesus on the pages of Leviticus. We are intended to see Jesus in the sacrifices laid out for us here. Now, there are a number of things I want you to see from this passage this morning, then. And the first is this. I want you to see that it is in the grain offering that the worshiper is giving himself to God. We dealt with this in chapter 2. We've already touched upon it. We won't spend a lot of time here. But we see this in verses 14 and 15. This is the law of the grain offering. The sons of Aaron shall present it before the Lord in front of the altar. Then one of them shall lift up from it a handful of the fine flour of the grain offering, with its oil and all the incense that is on the grain offering, and he shall offer it up in smoke on the altar, a soothing aroma as its memorial offering to the Lord. <clears throat> Do 
This is the worshiper coming in an act of dedication. It is a worshiper coming in an act of solemn joy into the presence of the Lord, which is what happens every time someone would come to the tabernacle. The tabernacle was viewed as that place where man met with God. And the old covenant worshiper would come with his grain offering to acknowledge God's provision for him. And it would be a memorial offering offered up in smoke, at least a portion of that offering. Now the second thing I want you to see here, you see especially in verses 16 to 18, and that is that God draws what we might refer to as a circle of awe around all of the activities of the tabernacle. The purpose of entering the Lord's tabernacle was to fellowship with Him, but everything that is involved in His worship must be holy. And so there is a holy joy, a solemn bliss that is experienced by the worshiper as he comes into the tabernacle. What is left of it, Aaron and his sons are to eat. It shall be eaten as unleavened cakes in a holy place. Now, not the holy place, but a holy place. <coughs> they are to eat it in the court of the tent of meeting. That is, they couldn't brown bag at home. There, in a specific place. What is, they are to eat it in the court of the tent of meeting. It shall not be baked with leaven. I have given it as their share of my offerings by fire. It is most holy. Like the sin offering and the guilt offering. Every male among the sons of Aaron may eat it. It is permanent ordinance throughout your generations from the offerings by fire to the Lord. Whoever touches them will become consecrated. So there is this holiness that surrounds everything that's taking place. From the way they eat to the place they eat to who can eat. Here's another thing I want you to see there in verse 17. There we see that not even the smallest detail of this service is insignificant to the Lord. And we have seen this over and over again. As you look at everything, essentially, that comes out of the Exodus, as God gives His law, but particularly here in Leviticus, as we're looking at the worship of God, God is very careful to specify in detail how he will be worshipped. You see that there in verse 17 most clearly. It shall not be baked with leaven. Let me tell you what kind of grain offering I will accept. This, not this. It's important. The Lord says it is. I have given it as their share from my offerings by fire. It is most holy. You also see that in this passage, the priests 
eating the remainder of this grain offering is not so much a payment for their service at the tabernacle as it is an act of assurance. This is something we're going to spend a little bit of time looking, on, looking at this morning. Again, coming back to verses 14 and 15 where the grain offering, the, the pledge offering, it's set forth as a symbolic giving of ourselves to God. We see in the giving of the grain offering a symbolic act in which the worshiper dedicates all that he has and all that he is, property and body, to the Lord. That's what's being declared in this grain offering. It represents the worshiper's devotion and dedication to the Lord. As God is Lord and has provided everything that we have, this is a public expression of giving back to the Lord what has always been His due. The first fruits, a public expression of commitment on the part of the worshiper to the Lord. In that sense, it, it bears some resemblance to baptism in the New Covenant. We are where we come having already given ourselves to the Lord, but we come publicly in the act of baptism to make that public declaration. There's an element of that here in the grain offering. Now, the purpose of this worship, of course, as we have mentioned, is to fellowship with and draw near to God. That's why people would come to the tabernacle. And we need to understand the New Testament application of this. One of these applications comes from Romans chapter 12. Verses 1 and 2, where Paul calls upon us to give the whole of ourselves to the Lord as living sacrifices. But of course, the ultimate fulfillment of the grain offering is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't it interesting that on the night in which he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus used the giving and baking of and breaking of bread as the symbol of him giving himself as a sacrifice on our behalf? giving his body, his whole person, as a sacrifice to the Lord. And so the Lord Jesus Christ and the breaking of that bread and the distribution of that bread to his people reminds us of his total self-giving sacrifice to his Father. And we are reminded of that. And we memorialize that and we rejoice in that and we partake in the benefits of that every time we come under the means of grace which God has provided, particularly when we come to the Lord's table. So I want to remind you that the, the grain offering not only served as an opportunity for the Old Testament believer to symbolize the giving of himself wholly and completely to God, but it also reminds us that we are to give ourselves to God and to rejoice in Jesus' giving of Himself to His Father on our behalf. Second thing I want you to see as well that we'll find in verses 16 to 18, and, that, that, and, and it is this shroud of holiness that we spoke of earlier, which surrounds everything that goes on in the tabernacle. There in verses 16 through 18, Moses speaks of what is to be done with the remainder of the grain 
that which is not given as a memorial gift and burned to make a sweet aroma to the Lord. What is left of it, we're told, Aaron and his sons are to eat. It shall be eaten as unleavened cakes in a holy place. They are to eat it in the court of the tent of meeting. It shall not be baked with leaven. I have given it as their share from my offerings by fire. It is most holy, like the sin offering and the guilt offering. Every male among the sons of Aaron may eat it. It is a permanent ordinance throughout your generations from the offerings by fire to the Lord. Whoever touches them will become consecrated. I want you to see a number of things here. And the first is this. When this bread is eaten by Aaron and his sons, it is, as we have already mentioned, it is to be unleavened. There is to be no leaven, no yeast in the cake. As we saw when we studied this in Leviticus chapter 2, this is a sign of purity and consecration. There is to be nothing in the grain offering, nothing in the flour, cooked or uncooked, which would lead to its deterioration. It is to be eaten unleavened. Notice too that it was only to be eaten in the court of the tabernacle, the holy place, only one specific location. Notice well that only the male descendants of Aaron are to eat of it. Now you know that there were other offerings that were given to the priests which their whole families could partake of. It was one of the ways that the priestly caste, so to speak, was taken care of in Israel since the Levites did not get their own land, their own territory, their job was to minister to the rest of the tribes, and so they were scattered throughout the land. And one of the ways they were taken care of was through the portions of some of the offerings that were brought in the worship of the Lord. But this particular offering is only to be eaten by the priests themselves, the male descendants of Aaron, because they alone were consecrated and holy to the Lord in the ministry of his tabernacle. Which leads to this last requirement that we find there in verse 18, that everyone who comes in contact with this grain offering must be consecrated. Now it's Hard to get that in verse 18. It sounds like it's saying something else. At first reading, you come to the end of verse 18. It says, whoever touches them shall become consecrated. And it might sound as if someone strolls along and they accidentally you know, touch the remains of this grain offering and magically they become consecrated by virtue of the touching of it. That's not what is being said here. It's simply another statement emphasizing holiness and consecration of the sacrifice. Another statement stressing the fact that no one is to eat of this offering who has not been consecrated, who has not been made holy. That is no one who is not a Levitical priest officiating at the worship of the tabernacle. Now what are we intended to see through all of this? We are to see that in 
four distinct ways God is drawing a circle of awe around the altar and this offering. He's emphasizing again and again and again the holiness which is necessary for fellowship with him. The priest was a mediator. He stood between the people and the Lord, representing the Lord's holiness to his people and representing the people's sacrifices to the Lord. And as the priest eats of this grain offering, he becomes the picture of the fellowship which exists between all of the covenant people and Yahweh. The priest then must eat it unleavened so that the material of the sacrifice is holy. He must eat it in the courts of the tabernacle so that the place where he is eating it is holy. Only the male priests must eat it so that those who are eating it are holy, and only those male priests consecrated to the service of the tabernacle may eat it, so that the holiness of this offering in every respect is protected. See, God is showing His people the solemn thing that it is to come into fellowship with Him. And how often do we see professing Christians and churches today taking this so lightly and coming so casually before the God of the universe? God tells us through this passage, as well as so often elsewhere in Scripture. That ought not be done. <coughs> if one is to come into the presence of God, to fellowship with Him, to worship Him, to praise Him, there must be an aura of awe and reverence. Not a casual not coming in a, a light and trite way. We are coming, brothers and sisters, before the Lord of glory. The word glory itself means heavy, <coughs> weighty. We speak of desiring the joy and the pleasure and the delight and the bliss of fellowship with God, and indeed that is right. It is joy and pleasure and delight and bliss to come into the presence of our God. But when we come into His presence, that joy is solemn. That bliss is holy. That delight is tempered with fear. It is not the world's trivial joy and delight. It is not the world's light happiness. It's lightheartedness. We are coming into fellowship with God. And yes, there is fellowship. He invites us in. He, he bids us come before the throne of grace boldly. 
But we remember that it is our only God into whose presence we come. And this sacrifice reminds us that when we come into the presence of this holy God, we come into a fearful presence. Though we are reconciled to Him, though He is our Father, He is nonetheless God. And we dare not forget that. I don't know what your relationship with your Father was like. I love my Father and He loved me and there was never any doubt of that. But He was always my Father. And there was always to be a separation between us. A reverence. An acknowledgement that He is not my peer. He is not my buddy. I also knew that if I stepped out of line, my relationship with Him would change in an instant. We can take that kind of understanding and superimpose it upon our relationship with our Heavenly Father. He is our Father. And He is compassionate. And He loves us. And He cares for us. And He provides for us. But He is God. And when we forget that, when we take Him lightly, when we sin, Something happens to that relationship until it is restored through repentance and confession. When we come into the presence of our God, we come recognizing who He is. When Moses was in God's presence, he took off his shoes and he acknowledged himself to be on holy ground. To be in God's presence so often in the scriptures, provokes not some wild, ecstatic holiness, but dread and awe. The people who come into the presence of God know that their rightful place is on the ground before Him. Because our God is a consuming fire. And so the joy of the worshiper, though joy is solemn, And this offering reminds us of that. I want you to see something else here this morning. Just once again, verse 17. This instruction that we're given. That this shall not be baked with leaven. I've given it as their share from my offerings of fire. It is most You see here the details of bringing cakes and baked goods to the Lord are not ignored. The smallest detail is not overlooked. These cakes, this bread bought to the Lord as an offering, is declared to be holy. It's a piece of bread. It's a piece of bread. It's just everyday average stuff. And yet the Lord declares 
declares that when it is brought to him, it is holy. You may think that you don't have very much to offer. You may look at your own life. Yeah. Not that gifted, not that successful, not that well off, don't have a lot of talents, I just, I don't have very much to What you have belongs to the Lord, and the Lord declares what you have to be holy. Never denigrate what the Lord has done. The, you are who the Lord wants you to be. In regard to sanctification, he's making you what he wants you to be. But he has not made us all the same. And whatever we give unto him, he makes holy. Because it is given for his glory. We will never be discouraged by the little things. They are little only in our sight. God sees everything we give to Him as a means of His own magnification. And that is holy, no matter what it might be. This is the grain offering that God has given. This is the grain offering, which is a picture for us of dedication unto Him Assurance of our relationship with Him. You know, one of the reasons why the priests were to eat the offering there in the courtyard of the tabernacle, it was so that everyone could see. And seeing that the priests tasked to officiate there at the tabernacle, had received these offerings, was a sign that God had received them. And it was an assurance that God had accepted them. Christ's own sacrifice of himself serves to assure the people of God of his acceptance of us through Jesus. You know, in some churches, they have what they call priests. And those priests will stand between the people of God and the altar. Indicating that this man still mediates for them as they come into the presence of God. But when we come to the Lord's table, I stand behind the table, indicating to you that I am not your mediator. You don't need me to enter into the presence of God because you have Jesus. He is your mediator. You come to Him, not through me, not through your elders, but you come to Him by God's grace and Spirit through His shed blood. You come directly into the presence of God in the name of Jesus Christ, in whose righteousness you have been clothed. And 
My job, then, is not to function as your mediator. It is to assure you that you have been accepted by this holy God. It is to get out of the way and take you to Jesus to show you the Savior because there and only there will you find full assurance. You know, the beautiful thing about the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ is that it is not a sacrifice which we have brought to God. Mm-hmm. It was a sacrifice that the Father and the Son rendered up for us on our behalf, and we had nothing to do with its offering. And yet its consequences and its results are offered to everyone who will trust in His name. There has been a sacrifice offered up for you. God Himself offered the sacrifice. So unlike those in the Old Covenant, we don't have to worry about whether the sacrifice is being done properly. If God's offering up a sacrifice to Himself, that's pretty much guaranteed. And that sacrifice which God offered up to Himself was His own Son. And so it was not only done properly, but it was fully sufficient for its purpose. And that purpose is to reconcile you to God. And if you have not understood that before today, then I want to make it very clear. You and every other person born into this world is a sinner separated from God because of your sin. And you need to be reconciled to Him. And you can't do it. A sinner cannot make himself holy. And a sinner cannot offer up a sacrifice which God will accept. So, how do we get out of our situation? God did it for us. God offered the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. It is for us only to receive. To turn from that sin which has separated us from God and to embrace Jesus Christ and the sacrifice which He has given, His own body and His own blood. And if we will do that, if we will accept that, if we will believe that, if we will trust only in Jesus Christ, that sacrifice cannot help but be accepted on our behalf by the one who offered it. Mm -hmm. So come to Jesus and you will be accepted. There has not been one person in the whole of human history who has come to God the Father on the basis of faith in His Son who has ever been rejected. Mm -hmm. Not Because the sacrifice has been done the right way. And the sacrifice is fully sufficient. And brothers and sisters, if you're in Christ, but you have 
struggled with assurance. I want you to understand this. Just as the priests took that bread and they went out into the courtyard to eat it, so it could be seen in public, Jesus Christ went to the cross and offered himself in public mm -hmm. so that we'd have something to remember, a memorial. And in remembering, there is our assurance. Mm -hmm. The sacrifice is complete and it is sufficient. And through faith in Christ, it is mine. And the Father accepts it. And on the basis of that sacrifice, I am his child. Mm -hmm. And he will never let me go. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Father. We thank you, Father, for what we see in the Old Testament because it points us to Jesus. We thank you, Father, for that greatest of all sacrifices and how Jesus fulfills all of the Old Covenant sacrifices. Father, I pray for your people this morning that we would have renewed assurance that the sacrifice of our Lord and Savior is all we need. Mm -hmm. And I pray, Father, for those who have not heard the gospel before, that you would open their hearts, Father, that you would give them life that they might understand and believe. These things we ask in Jesus' name, for his sake and for our good. Amen.